Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to Holy Soup, the home of fearless conversation. Today we're talking, well, about fear itself, specifically the fear people feel about an unstable world, terrorism, tensions and bloodshed in the Middle East, and the the flow of refugees from that part of the world. It seems every day we learn of another terror attack. Many people worry that these attacks are getting closer and closer to their own homes. Terrorism is succeeding in spreading a sense of terror here in the homeland. Many of these incidents of terrorism are claimed or at least applauded by known terror groups such as ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Though many people in this country would acknowledge that the vast majority of Muslims are not terrorists or inclined toward terrorism, it's true that a large portion of Americans do have a generally unfavorable view toward Muslims and their religion, Islam. So, How does or how should the Christian church in America deal with these fears of terrorism and these views toward another religion, Islam? Our guest today has spent a lot of time with Muslims, not only in this country, but especially in the Middle East. Carl Medeiros lived there with his family, and uh, he's on his way back to that part of the world. And he's written a number of books on the subject, including one called Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, another one called Simple Ways to Reach Out to Muslims. And uh, recently, he wrote specifically to this issue of fear with the book Adventures in Saying Yes, A Journey from Fear to Faith, which describes his time in the Middle East. Welcome, Carl. Thank you. It's great to be there, Tom. Uh, It's great to have you. Well, with the latest terror attacks in the news very recently, what do you say to your Christian friends who may express a a certain fear about Muslim immigrants in their own community here here in America? Wow, I like that. Let's, let's just dive right in. <laughs> That's great. That's a simple question. The, the easy answer is, <laughs> no, it's a, it's, a, it's a real question. It's a big issue. Obviously, I think it's not going to be an issue that goes away anytime soon or ever in, in our lifetime. You know, we hear sometimes on the news, actually all sides of political parties, you know, all, all the parties saying we're going to, you know, go for us, we're going to end terrorism or we're going to, we're going to put a stop to, you know, X, Y, Z. And that's, I mean, hopefully we're smart enough to figure out that that's just political rhetoric. There's there's no such thing. Uh, it's like saying we're going to put it into evil. Mm-hmm. So, you know, evil is real in the world. And as as uh, believers uh, in Jesus and people who follow follow him, we know from reading the Bible that there is, there is an enemy. Uh, we know the enemy is not flesh and blood, Ephesians 6 and other places that really clearly there is an enemy and it's Satan and demons and, you know, so evil is real, so we don't need to pretend that it's not, but it's not people. The evil, uh, the thing that we're against is never uh, flesh and blood. Uh, it cannot be, hmm. uh, according to the scriptures. And so, you know, so you just kind of have to frame around the edges, first of all, and then I, so that's one thing. I think the other, the other thing that's really important is to, to re- remember or recognize that the greatest uh, command, the number one command in all the Bible, is fear not, or don't be afraid, or, mm. you know, some cognition of fear not. My, my guess is that's because God knows that we're, 
we're chickens at heart. You know, we're, we're easily made afraid. And things like this are, you know, I mean, it's things that we maybe ought to be afraid of. But I think God, you know, comes again and again and again, Old and New Testament, to tell us, you know, I've got this. Don't worry, it looks crazy. And by the world, by the way, the world's always been crazy. If the world's not crazier now than it was before, I mean, you should have lived in the, you know, ninth century or something, or at the time of Jesus, by the mm. way. It was way crazier than it is now. So we actually probably live in the safest century ever mm. in the history of mankind. But there's there's lots to be afraid of, and mostly there's lots to be afraid of because we see it real time uh, because of social media and, you know, 24-hour news. So we're we're kept on high alert and high fear, you know, 24-7 now because of the media. But God says, don't fear. Do not be afraid. And we know what to do with our enemies. We love them. We bless them. We pray for them. Uh, so, so I mean, things, according to the Scripture, things are actually fairly clear what we're to do, but we're still humans, and we still are prone to be afraid. So I, so I get that. But I think, I think the Bible does address it uh, fairly clearly. Well, I, th- I think a lot of people here, especially in the U.S., would look at the work that you do, the ministry that you do, particularly when you travel to the Middle East, as, uh, man, that, that's really dangerous, and a person really ought to be fearful going over there, not to mention the terrorism that we see coming this way. How do you, when, when you're ready now to leave to uh, go and, and spend another period of time in the Middle East ministering, how do you approach that? that whole reality of uh, violence and and fear that uh, is present in, in that part of the world as well as other places. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think it, it really comes down to our theology. Do we actually believe that when we're in Christ, when we're new creations in Christ, that we're in, when we're in His kingdom and we are His, do we honestly believe that's enough? Or do we think that personal security and safety can be provided by our, govern- our government or by, you know, living in, a, <clears throat> living in a safe town? I mean, not too long ago, there was, you know, these attacks just recently in, in Minnesota, in a mall, right, in, mm-hmm. in Minnesota. I mean, that, that, my guess is when those people were walking to the mall that day, they weren't thinking they were in a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people get hit by... Uh, vehicles. We live in the states. We live in Denver. So if you if you are uh, walking around downtown Denver and certain parts of Denver at night, you're foolish. I mean that's dangerous. Uh, but but you could be walking across the street in a nice suburb. You could be at a, a school and there could be a shooting. There could, I mean the possibilities of violence, terrorism, or otherwise, uh, or just accidents happening. That that happens anywhere. Uh, and everywhere. So I, I'm actually not sure. So we live in Dubai most of the year, and Dubai is a city in the Middle East. It's an Arab Muslim country, part of the United Arab Emirates. And Dubai is very international, and it's famous because, you know, they make islands out of the, the sea, and, you know, all these, the, the police drive uh, Ferraris, and, and that's actually true. They really do drive Ferraris. Mm-hmm. And so we see this stuff on t- television. And so you might think it's safer in Dubai than maybe it is in Iraq or but we go to all those countries. We lived in Beirut for 12 years. I go in and out of Saudi Arabia, Iraq, uh, Qatar. I was in Karachi, Pakistan a couple months ago. And if you if, if you actually believe, if you're a listener and, and you believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Lord, the King of the universe, and he, then you should then you should agree with what 
he has said that were his, and that uh, wherever you wherever you are, if you're in God's will, if you're following Him, you're actually as safe as you can be. And I know that's kind of a platitude; people say things like that, but we don't really believe it. I actually do. I think it's true. So we don't feel my wife and I don't feel any more in danger in Damascus, Syria, than we do in down, in downtown Denver. And sometimes actually the opposite. Some of the mm. places in America, <laughs> you know, if you go at the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, you you should be afraid. So. I really do think it's a theological issue, and I know that sounds kind of intense, you know, just mm-hmm. to say, oh, don't be afraid, because the Bible says don't be afraid. But I think we should at least start there. Let's at least start by acknowledging that God uh, owns the world and and ultimately has control of events, and, and then let's go from there and see what happens. Carl, you've had vast experience working with the Muslim population uh, around the world. What do you say to the American population that uh, uh, some of the latest data I've seen show that uh, around half of Americans have uh, an unfavorable view toward Muslims and their religion. So given your experience, what do you say to uh, that slice of Americana that uh, has those suspicions? Yeah, actually that question really is an easy answer, I think. It's, it's, it's this. Uh, it's a question of back, I would say, to that person who has an unfavorable view of Muslims or kind of a suspicion, you know, it's maybe a suspicion of Muslims, kind of wondering what they're doing. My question to that person would simply be, do you have any Muslim friends? That's it. And and actually, that will solve it. I, I guarantee you 100%, if you have actual Muslim friends, I mean, Muslims, and they're actually your friends, then uh, your suspicion will at least wane, if not fade away completely. And if you have lots of Muslim friends, then you'll have no suspicion. It's actually a funny thing. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, when we don't know something or we don't know someone, we can be afraid of them. Now, if you if you actually know or if you somehow met the, um, you know, point zero one percent bad guy Muslim, if you accidentally stumbled into some Muslim who was carrying a bomb, well, then, okay, then you <laughs> should be afraid of that mm-hmm, guy. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing this for 35 years. I've actually never run into that guy myself. So I, I know they exist somewhere because that we see them blowing stuff up every once in a while. So unfortunately, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. All, all, all media almost, you know, these days is, is uh, scary, uh, bloody stuff. So you don't see the, the picture of the great Muslim families who live down the street from us, for instance. So we have an Iranian family who lives just down the street from us in Denver, and they're the nicest family ever, maybe mm. of all time. And, but we don't see news about them because they didn't do anything newsworthy, in other words, scary. So I would say the answer to that is, you know, get to know some Muslims. And if you don't know any Muslims and you're still saying things like they're trying to bring Sharia law to America, which is not true, or you're still saying things like uh, the Quran teaches them all to be violent, which is not true, or if you're still saying things like, yeah, but... A lot of Muslims, not just some Muslims, Carl, a lot of Muslims are really scary and want to take over the world. If you're still saying things like that, which, by the way, all aren't true, and you don't know any Muslims, then actually think about that. That actually doesn't even really make sense. You've you just made something up in your head, maybe based on some news channels you've watched or some books you read, but you don't personally know it, yet you've been tempted to label a whole group of people as either bad or potentially bad people, and you don't even know any of them. So I would just say, again, since Jesus says pretty clearly, love your neighbors 
and loves your enemies. So whichever the Muslim is to you, if he's a neighbor, love him. If you think he's an enemy, better yet, Jesus is really clear what to do with enemies, as I mentioned, and love them. And then just start to figure out ways to do that. And, and mostly it has to do with food and having a cup of tea together mm-hmm. and nothing very fancy, just getting to know people. And once you do that, you'll, you'll, I think your fears will, will dissipate, if not mm. completely disappear. Well, let me put uh, some other national data in front of us. Uh, one survey showed that 86% of Muslims in America say that suicide bombings and other forms of violence against civilians in the name of Islam are rarely or never justified. But there is another piece of research that shows that uh, at least a, a portion of Muslims in America believe, and this is the, the way they frame it, that Muslims in America should have the choice of being governed according to Sharia, Sharia law. And you had brought up uh, Sharia. What is Sharia? What is Sharia law? And what is it about that that scares uh, some Americans? What, what should Americans know about this relationship between Islamic beliefs and Sharia and how that might play out in the public square here? Yeah, yeah. Again, I think a lot of that is just uh, it's this lack of knowledge. I mean, the word Sharia is literally an Arabic word that means the way. Like, so if I was asking... Uh, somebody in, in if I was speaking Arabic, which I speak, you know, and if I was saying how do you know how do I go to that place over there? What's the way? What's the way to the the grocery store? If I, in that sentence, the word the way would have been Sharia. Hmm. I mean, tell me the Sharia to the grocery store. So hmm. it's actually just a word, and it just means the way a Muslim lives. So, so like Jews, so uh, Jews have a Sharia. Uh, they have a, a law. That for an Orthodox Jew, especially, you know, you don't you don't do anything on Sabbath, which is Saturday. You have to cook uh, in a kosher kitchen with kosher food made a certain way. Uh, and in uh, the Muslim tradition, kosher is halal. The word is halal, so you cook food in a certain way. Uh, their their day of rest is Friday. Um, it's just it's actually the way a Muslim would do life. And, and what's interesting is actually very conservative. I mean, it's it is uh, it would be a conservative, traditional evangelical position on almost everything. They're 100% pro-life, completely anti-abortion. They are 100% heterosexual marriage. They are completely against divorce. Uh, they're actually very conservative. They they are our social conservative compadres, you know, in America. And so, so the irony of all that is that. If Sharia was instituted somewhere in America, which I don't know how that could be possible, there's there's less than one percent, you know, Muslims in America, so it's not possible anyway. Mm. But if, uh, for instance, uh, in Dearborn, some people have said, well, Sharia law is existent in you know near Detroit in Dearborn, Michigan. So again, one, that's not true. It was just there. It's, there's not Sharia law imposed in Dearborn. But secondly, because it is a, a largely Muslim city, suburb of Detroit. Uh, mostly Lebanese, and uh, a lot of them are Shiite Muslims. I've been to the largest mosque in America. It's called the Islamic Center of America. It's in Dearborn. About 4,000 uh, Shiites worship there every Friday. I've spoken about Jesus in that mosque, by the way, with their encouragement. Yeah. I've done that a couple times. So they they actually have elected their own city council, and, you know, surprise, surprise, because it's democracy, and most of the people in Dearborn are Muslim. They've elected a Muslim city council. So then if you hear it spun correctly, people will say, well, look at the Muslims have taken over Dearborn. They've, they've elected their home council, and they've implemented Sharia law. Uh, 
and so when you string all those words together, that's that's actually kind of true, but not really. Actually, what the city council has done there is just, I think the last thing they did is they passed legislation to add a new park in downtown Dearborn because they wanted more parks for their children. Hmm. So I don't know. Is that is that Sharia? I mean, actually, probably it is. It's probably a Sharia compliant thing to have more parks for their children to play. It's just, it's actually pure ignorance on the part of Americans mm-hmm. that we're worried about that. So what we really mean is we mean Sharia like the Sharia we see in Saudi Arabia. So if that's what we're talking about, yes, I agree. I'm against that, <laughs> you know, coming to America. I don't want Saudi Wahhabi Sharia law in America, and there is 0% chance that would ever happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, literally, that could never happen. So mm-hmm. uh, don't fear. Do not fear. Relax a little bit and have a Muslim over for a milkshake. I think it's a lot more fun than worrying about Sharia law anyway. <laughs> well, is there is there anything about uh, Sharia law or the Quran or uh, typical traditional Islamic beliefs that uh, people should be concerned about, should fear? Yes. I mean, so here's what you fear, is what you fear is, is the crazy ones like the ISIS uh, gang that is taking uh, Quranic verses out of context. It's very similar to the, the Ku Klux Klan in America that I actually interviewed the Grand Wizard of the KKK about three years ago. Mm. It was the freakiest, scariest interview I've ever done because <laughs> he quoted the Bible to me the whole interview. He's a, he was an evangelical pastor, and uh, he quoted the Bible, and he took, uh, he took passage out of passage out of passage out of context and, and strung them together to support his sick unbelievably inhumane view of the world and humanity and of God. Hmm. And so just like Christians throughout the centuries have sometimes taken, some Christians have sometimes taken some passages, you know, from the Bible out of context to encourage, you know, uh, taking over another country or war or, you know, whatever, or just being a bad person. Some Muslims take some Quranic verses out of context as well. For instance, the one that I hear most often, unfortunately, by Christians trying to to show how bad Muslims are, the, the, the verse quoted probably most by Christians from the Quran says, uh, kill them wherever you find them, in the highways or byways, slaughter them. Okay, so that, you know, some form of that verse mm. you've probably heard before somewhere. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is the four or five, six verses right before that, it's in the context of a very specific battle, so kind of like the Old Testament you know, I mean, if you, take a, take a, if you take some verses out of the Old Testament out of context, oh my goodness, I mean, think what you could prove. Um, you don't, actually don't even have to take them out of context. I mean, several times God order, orders genocide, actually, in the Old Testament. So, uh, you know, if you want to compare violent books, I mean, ours, unfortunately, ours is way more violent than the Quran is. Hmm. But we understand how to interpret it through the, through the lens of the New Testament, hopefully, and the lenses of Jesus. But if you're a Muslim, you could also take that verse and just say, yep, the Quran tells me to slaughter them wherever I find them. But the verses right before it tell Muhammad, who's having an actual battle in Mecca, he says, uh, God says to Muhammad, uh, flee from the enemy, do not take up your sword against the enemy. Run. He says flee, and then he says run. Only if they catch you and will not stand down, then, and then that verse, kill them, you know, kill them, slaughter them, right there. So, it's horrible that Christians would take that verse also out of context in the Quran and use that to prove that Muslims are violent, when actually the whole context of that passage is exactly the opposite. 
I mean, I hate it when people do that with the Bible with me. They, they take a verse to use against me out of context in the Bible and says, well, your Bible, your Bible is against women. You know, your Bible puts women down. They, then they quote some random scripture from somewhere that appears to be kind of anti-female. And I think, no, 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 you didn't read the whole book. It's actually the most freeing uh, book in the world. I mean, it was way ahead of its time in liberating women, you know, to be free and to be human beings or, or whatever. You, you, you can imagine many other scenarios there. Hmm. So. Well, in, the, in some of the latest attacks here in the United States, uh, terror attacks, uh, people haven't been shouting out the name of Jesus. They've been shouting out Allah and, and claiming to be uh, connected to the Islamic faith in, uh, in their proclamations. In, in light of that, where does the church come in with handling a response to this? What should churches be telling our people today? Not only with uh, the threat of terrorism, but uh, in the public debate of uh, the immigration of this country from uh, countries that are under siege and the increase of uh, Muslim immigrants into our country. What what should we be hearing from our pulpits and from our teachers and from fellow Christians about how to put all of this into context? Yeah, again, I think the, the Bible has surprisingly uh, a lot of clear answers to those kinds of questions. When you think of immigration or how you treat the foreigners in your midst or, uh, you know, what you do with your neighbor uh, and what you do with your enemy. Again, as I've said, uh, the Bible actually addresses that again and again, Old Testament and New Testament, of how we should treat people, especially the oppressed, the downtrodden. So think of the Syrian the Syrian situation right now, which is probably the, the biggest immigration uh, with E, you know, immigration leave, leaving a country in the history of the world. Uh, Syria is about 25 million people, and over half of them now don't live in their original home. So they either have left the country altogether, or they live in a different city, or they live with relatives, you know, nearby, but not in their original home. It's an unbelievable uh, travesty. And, you know, we could have a long discussion of, you know, why that happened, but that's not so important that there are 12, 13, 14 million Syrians who are, are refugees, either internally displaced or outside of Syria. And so I think the church's job, it's clear. We welcome the foreigner. We, uh, we help the oppressed. We give food and blankets and, and maybe job training and ultimately the good news that, that Jesus came for them as well. Now, I don't think that means we need to put our head in the sand and act like everything's wonderful. You know, the, the, the classic liberal position, overstating the liberal position is, hey, it's going to be fine, don't worry about it, you know, bring them all in and we'll work it out later. And the, the classic, maybe ultra-conservative position would be keep them out because some of them could be bad people. And so, you know, as often happens in politics, both have a little bit of truth. I think we should be open-armed towards refugees and immigrants. And we should also be careful because some of them are going to be bad apples. I mean, it's almost it's almost a hundred percent chance that if we let in, uh, let's say, a million Syrian refugees, there is a hundred percent chance that somebody in that group is going to be a bad apple. By the way, if you let in a million of anybody into our country, <laughs> there's going to be some bad apples. Mm -hmm. And if you just took a million regular Americans who have lived here forever, there's going to be some bad apples as well. So. 
So you know, we don't need to be ignorant. We don't need to be silly about it. We should we should be responsible in how we uh, have these immigration laws. But as far as the church goes, I think it's the church. We're not the government. We're the church. We're the people of God. Our role in this, whoever gets elected next, whichever policy our country takes, a little more conservative or a little more liberal, as far as refugees go, the church's job is clear. Uh, we we train. We welcome. We we uh, help the women, uh, you know, speak English if they don't speak English. If you're a women's study, if the men uh, do job training, uh, you know, in those societies, women are going to much more likely stay at home. Men are much more likely going to have jobs, just like America maybe, you know, 50 years ago, uh, maybe good or bad. I'm not making a uh, critique on that. That's just the way the immigrants will be. They'll be very conservative in their family, you know, structures. And, and we love them. We love them. We welcome them with open arms. We have them into our homes for dinner. And could one of them be a bad person that you welcome into your home? Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody could actually be a bad person, and they could do something horrible. But does that stop you from doing clearly what God has asked us to do, which is to welcome the immigrant and the refugee and to love our neighbors? And these people are becoming our neighbors, whether we like it or not. They are coming to us, and it's our job to make them feel welcome, and I think that's the best. I think the best form of of uh, defeating terrorism on our soil here in America is by loving the immigrants. Let, let's not let the Somalis and the Yemenis and the Lebanese and the Syrians um, who are on our shores. Let's not let them feel alienated and isolated. Let's not push them into a corny corner by ignoring them. Let's fully welcome them into our churches and our homes and take care of them and love them. And I think they are much less likely to want to blow something up or do something horrible if they feel loved by us. I mm. think it's actually a great strategy that you just had to overcome terrorism. Mm. Carl, you've had a lot of experience uh, introducing Muslim people to Jesus. What have you seen? Great response. Uh, unbelievable response. I mean, I would say... Muslims are the easiest people in the world to share the gospel with. I mean, easier than your typical American who's going to be very secular, uh, easier than other religious background people. Muslims have a, a high respect for Jesus as a prophet, so it makes it easy to talk about Jesus, uh, at, least as, at least as a person or a prophet. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't believe he was God in the flesh. They don't believe he was crucified. Uh, and so, you know, they're obviously big differences between uh, the biblical belief in Christ and the Quranic belief in Jesus. But So I'm not saying they're the same. I'm just saying that it's easy to build a bridge with a Muslim to talk deeply about Jesus. And they, they often, when I bring up Jesus, they'll put their hand, their right hand over their heart, or they'll kiss the back of their hand, or they'll put their right hand on top of their head, and they'll say, oh my, oh my, Jesus. And they'll, they'll, they'll usually say something like, oh, we love, we love Jesus, we mm. love Jesus. And I can choose at that moment to say something kind of negative and skeptical, like, you know, like, well, you know, you don't love the crucified biblical Jesus. You love, you know, I know the Jesus from the Quran. I could say that if I wanted to, and you could, you could make an argument that that's true. I find that so unhelpful and unnecessary. I would never do that. So I just say, fantastic. You love Jesus? I love Jesus. This is amazing. <laughs> we should talk. And, uh, and they do. And they're happy, and they're happy to read the Bible with you. They're happy to go through the Gospels with you. I, I usually take them through the Book of Luke. I don't think I've ever, in 33 
opportunity to read the Gospels about Jesus Christ with me. Hmm. Not one time. And I've asked thousands of Muslims to do that. Isn't that amazing? Poor, rich, influential, not influential. They love Jesus. They're so open and so ripe and so willing to come to him if we present him with, uh, with love and with grace as, hmm. as, he, as he is. Now, we've heard uh, stories here about uh, so many Muslims coming to Christ in uh, these Middle Eastern countries, and it, it, it's astonishing. What, what have you seen in terms of the effectiveness of reaching out? Yeah, I mean, uh, throughout the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Indonesia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, northern India, I mean, all the, the, the biggest Muslim population countries, there are significant move, movements of Muslims coming to Christ. Sometimes through dreams and visions, and through kind of uh, you know power encounters, that's just the Holy Spirit doing mm-hmm. His thing, you know, all by Himself, which He's quite free to do and quite, quite capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also many times just through you know bumbling knuckleheads like me that just kind of stumble along. And and all, I mean, I don't do anything very interesting, really. We don't have any fancy methods. We don't have a little. Uh, you know, little puppets or, you know, flannel graphs or, uh, you know, we don't have any, like, ABCs of mm-hmm. how to lead Muslims to Jesus, you know, 101. Real, we just, we're nice to people. We do a lot of hospitality. We have them in our home. When they invite us to their home, which they do all the time, we go to their home and we just hang out, talk about life and faith and God, and it goes quickly and easily easily to Jesus. I would say usually within the first few minutes of any conversation I have with a Muslim, we're talking about Jesus specifically. And then we pray with them, and, and uh, they have some issue, we'll help them. And, you know, I mean, just being a normal, kind human being, really. Yeah. And we've seen phenomenal uh, results from people being set free and coming to Jesus uh, doing that. Mm. Oh, that's good to hear. Well, yeah. the, as uh, as you pointed out, the Muslim population here in the United States is just uh, 1% or so, but uh, the number of Muslims around the world is growing significantly, and uh, projections are that it will uh, continue that way over the coming decades. And uh, that's one of the issues, uh, this whole uh, racial and ethnic and, and uh, religious uh, growth in different sectors. That's one of the issues that's being looked at at the upcoming Future of the Church Conference. It's coming up in October here in Colorado. Our listeners can find out more about that at thefutureofthechurch.com, thefutureofthechurch.com, and uh, see how you can plug in to seeing what uh, is in store in the, in the coming years here that will affect all of us uh, in the church in the United States. Well, thank you, Carl. Uh, we would like our listeners to check out your books. I know that they are available in bookstores and uh, on uh, Amazon and other online retailers. And uh, I, I know that uh, you'd appreciate our prayers for you as you travel again to the Middle East to, to minister. And uh, we'll be thinking about you and uh, praying for the work that you continue to pioneer there. Great. Thank you so much, Thomas. It's been a pleasure. And we'll see you next time on the Holy Soup Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and uh, we'll see you next time.